The question is, is Proposition 51 the best means to address this tremendously important uh, facilities backlog in K through 14 public education? And if we do have to pass a statewide bond, we should focus on the districts with the most need, not the ones that are rich and wealthy. Welcome back to Upvote California, a podcast for California voters. This episode is part of our 2016 California Proposition series, where we focus on each proposition on the ballot and bring on experts to discuss both sides of the issue. I'm your host, Brian Atwood. Today's episode is about Proposition 51, the Public School Facility Bonds Initiative, which would allocate $9 billion in new bonds for the construction and improvement of facilities for K-12 schools and community colleges. We're fortunate to have two experts with us today. We'll be interviewing Larry Galizio, the president and CEO of the Community College League of California, to hear the supporting arguments. For the opposing arguments, we have G. Rick Marshall from the California Taxpayers Action Network. But we start each episode with a brief summary and some key facts. Prop 51 would authorize $9 billion in bonds to be used for K-12 school and community college facility construction and modernization. These bonds would mean an estimated $500 million per year in tax obligation for the next 35 years. Supporters say vote yes, as students deserve better and safer facilities that can provide the best learning environment. Opponents say vote no, as the funding goes mainly towards construction projects and is not the best use of tax revenues for education. I think most people would agree that we need to continue to build schools and modernize them. So the question to really ask is, how much money should we be spending, and is this the right way to pay for it? So it's really helpful to look at the specifics of Prop 51 and how facilities are funded in California currently. So the breakdown of the funds of this $9 billion is that $3 billion goes towards new construction of K-12 schools, $3 billion towards modernization of K-12 $1 billion for charter and vocational schools, and $2 billion for community colleges. So facilities typically are funded by a mix of state and local funds. So for new construction and land, 50% is paid by the state, 50% is funded from local um, sources. For modernization, the state pays 60%. And for school districts that can't raise the local part, they can apply for special state grants that pay anywhere up to 100% of the project cost. Um, The state typically funds these projects through general obligation bonds. So from 1998 to 2006, voters approved $36 billion for K-12 schools. Um, However, no new bonds have been raised since 2006, and the state has virtually no funding for previously issued bonds. Um, more recently, many school facilities are funding their um, projects from local bonds. So since 1998, about $64 billion have been sold through local bonds for school facility construction. And in addition, about $10 billion has been raised from developers' fees. Uh, let's look at the fiscal effects of Prop 51. So currently, California is paying about $2.4 billion per year to pay off um, the previously issued bonds that I was talking about. And so the state estimates we're going to pay an additional $500 million per year um, to pay off the bond from Prop 51, and that represents about half a percent of the general fund budget. 
Um, in terms of local activity, like what's going to happen when Prop 51 passes, so the state estimates two effects, um, kind of opposite effects. In some cases, local districts are going to raise more money since there's going to be more state funds to build new projects. And in other cases, local districts are going to raise less money since they can rely on these new state funds without having to raise so much money locally. So um, just kind of your local property taxes is really going to depend on, on where you are and how the local school district um, reacts to these new funds. What's the financial support behind this measure? About $12 billion has been raised in support, um, with the largest donations coming from the California Building Industry Association and the Coalition for Adequate School Housing, which is composed of school advisors, developers, and architects. On the opposing side, the California Taxpayers and Educators Opposed to Sprawl and Developer Abuse was the only PAC in opposition, but no funds were raised, and that PAC has since been disbanded. Let's turn over now to our arguments in favor of Prop 51 with our guest. We are fortunate to welcome Larry Galizio to the podcast to talk about the supporting view of Prop 51. Larry is the president and CEO of the Community College League of California and one of the authors of the official arguments in favor of the measure. Thank you for joining Upvote California, Larry. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, can you start off by briefly explaining Proposition 51 and why it is important for Californians to vote yes? Sure. Uh, well, it, uh, it funds uh, uh, through school bonds uh, funding for both K-12 and community college facilities. And there is um, an estimated backlog from reliable sources in the state of over $2 billion in K-12 and $500 million for our public community colleges. And so this proposition attempts to uh, address that backlog of both deferred maintenance, health and safety concerns, as well as the need for new and upgraded facilities so that we can provide a skilled and educated workforce and a safe environment environment for schools. Um, you know, the interesting thing about this particular proposition is there's not really any argument about whether or not there is a need or a demand. Um, it's I think both sides agree that there is a need, that we have a backlog of repairs, upgrades, and the need to mitigate basic health and safety concerns with asbestos and lead paint and fire and earthquake. The question is, is Proposition 51 the best means to address this tremendously important uh, facilities backlog in K through 14 public education? Mm -hmm. And um, I think a lot of people will read this ballot measure and say, of course, I want to support education. Um, but, you know, there's a cost to this. Can you help us kind of understand some examples of the benefit of this measure uh, versus the cost to taxpayers? How do we kind of understand those trade-offs? Sure. And, and this is, I think, the, the key question, the, que the key larger question for voters. Um, it's an investment in facilities, but that's also an investment in our most precious resource and the pre most pre precious resource, not just for a community and a state, but for for businesses, which is human capital or people. And those of us who support Prop 51 see this as both a short 
and long-term investment. The short-term investment is, you know, number one, you have to address the health, the real health and safety needs. Uh, we have asbestos, lead paint, fire and earthquake hazards, and school facilities and community college facilities in incredible disrepair. In fact, over 30% of the buildings in the K-12 system were built either in 1966 or before. And just to, as a reminder, 1966 is when Ronald Reagan was the governor and the average home cost about $14,000 and a gallon of gas was 32 cents. So we have buildings that are not just outdated, but downright dangerous for health and safety. So the question is, uh, do we need to confront this by expending resources and making an investment just the way homeowners make an investment? And those of us who support this proposition think absolutely yes. And I, I would say there are several reasons and several benefits. I mean, number one, just the obvious, you're protecting the health and safety of, of children going to school and families. And also you're investing in the most vital resource if we want to compete in the 21st century global economy, a skilled and educated workforce, as, as well as having civically engaged uh, citizens for our democracy. And it's also important to vote yes, I believe, to uphold the state of California. Really, it's a constitutional responsibility for the state. Uh, we have a social contract to support the next generation, but in the Constitution in the state of California, uh, we're supposed to provide for a safe and secure public K-14 through education. Also, the way this proposition is structured, it leverages both the state and local investment, so works in a partnership, and it's one that's worked for decades. And finally, I would say, you know, the short term, the estimate is that for every $1 billion in state infrastructure investments, it creates about 13,000 jobs. So that's this measure would, uh, if if his if history is if the past is prologue, then this would create about thirty thousand jobs in the construction and other related industries. Mm -hmm. And I think you're um, kind of touching on a point of this proposition, which is that the funds are specifically out allocated towards um, upgrading facilities, building new facilities. Um, can you clarify that and any additional funds that this is specifically? tied for? I know that there's some uh, community college uh, issues on it as well. Right, right. So, yeah, it's it's for, um, just as you described, deferred maintenance to repair existing facilities where there needs, you know, repair throughout the state. And like I said, there's, uh, uh, you know, billions of dollars of backlog of, of deferred maintenance. And also, you know, as we have some areas of the state that are growing and projected to grow, I think 34 of the 58 counties are projected to grow over the next decade for, in terms of school population. So there's also monies to create new facilities, upgrade, whether those are science labs or for vocational programs or what we call at the community college level, career and technical programs for healthcare. Um, you know, there's there's um, so it's for both deferred maintenance, repair, and then the upgrading and and um, increasing of of new facilities as well. Okay, um, I think 
probably the main argument from uh, the the team that's against Prop 51 is that they say Californians have approved um, a lot of money already in state and local bonds to fix California schools, something like $140 billion. Um, and they say that additional funds aren't needed. Can you help? What What is your response against that, that kind of main criticism? Sure. And I, I think it's it's an important element. But, I, you know, I would say that money has been spent. Mm-hmm. And so we're we are benefiting from the fruits, you know, generations, decades for decades. We've we've invested in K through 12 public education for a wide variety of reasons. And I'm sure many people understand why. Uh, but just as any homeowner knows, just because you fix the roof in 1966, in 2016, since the state has not passed a statewide public facilities education bond for a decade. So therefore, because of that lack of attention to this deferred maintenance and the need for new new facilities, we have this massive backlog. So, uh, you know, I, I hear the, the concern, but the reality is uh, Public education and civic capacity and having a skilled and educated workforce uh, doesn't come cheaply. And so that's, I, I would just say that's the, the major argument. There are, you know, I think another claim against the proposition, and people are concerned with the, with the specific process mm-hmm. for how projects get funded. And I understand this, but, you know, if you ask the opponents of Proposition 51, well, for a, there's been a decade where we've not had a public facility statewide bond. What measures have been put forward? What measures have passed the legislature, uh, the assembly, that have, quote unquote, fixed the system that they criticize, the system of funding facilities that we've had for decades? What have you done in the last 10 years when we've had no bonds passed? Uh, the answer would be nothing. So for people to say they don't want to vote for this because they don't like some elements of the current system, I think the logical extension of that argument is, hey, we should continue to shirk our responsibility to protect the health and safety of our children, continue to ignore the $2.5 billion backlog of construction because elected state officials have failed to restructure a process that some people don't like. In other words, uh, to me, it's, it's somewhat of a specious argument. Now, I, I'm waiting. I would love to hear alternative proposals for how to do it. But for the perfect to be the enemy of the good and necessary, I think, is, is extremely short-sighted. And it also... Because people don't like a particular system, they're going to hold hostage an entire generation of of Californians. I th- I feel like that's uh, highly problematic. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you about the other criticism, which says that you know this this state money is going to be allocated towards the wealthier districts because they're the ones with the consultants, and you know the poor districts don't have it. But I, I think what you're saying is that. Um, we haven't done anything in 10 years, and it, it, and this is a, a good step uh, with the current system. Is that is that kind of how you would see that argument? Yeah, yeah. Right. In other words, I, I think there are legitimate c- 
concerns, especially with the K-12 system. I, I think if people look at the community college system and how, you know, we have 113 community colleges and 72 community college districts, and the means by which the fund, the projects are prioritized at a statewide level in agreement, um, I, I think is seen by most people as as a very efficient and fair system. Mm-hmm. And I do understand, I think there's some legitimate concerns with the current K-12 system. But again, to claim that we should vote no for in addressing true health and safety concerns, we should vote you know, no because in, and not invest in our, our young people and um, our economic wherewithal because politicians in Sacramento have failed to come up with an alternative system, I feel like is, is, is a really, um, it's just a difficult argument to swallow, especially if you're a family or uh, a student in a class that is falling apart, that has lead paint and asbestos, or you're in a community college that has equipment from 1970 when you're trying to get a job in 2016 or 17. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Um, I want to be respectful of your time and, and just kind of ask one last question. Uh, voters have a lot to decide on this election. As we talked about before the phone call, there's uh, 17 uh, statewide ballot measures and a lot of uh, local ballot measures for everybody. If if they if there's one thing about Prop 51 that a listener can take with them into the polling booth, what would that what would that thing be? Sure, I would I would ask every single voter in thinking about Proposition 20, 20, uh, 51, excuse me, to ask the fundamental question: Does the benefit of protecting children from really unsafe and sick buildings, uh, investing in a skilled, educated workforce for a competitive California to meet the needs of the state's constitutional responsibility to provide a safe and secure K through 14 public education system, does that, do those needs outweigh the costs of inaction and another decade of neglect? Okay. That's a good question. <laughs> if uh, if you want to say anything else to listeners about uh, getting more involved or, or learning more about the measure, is there a website that they can go to? Of course. There's a yes on Proposition 51. And I, I want to thank you for what you're doing. I think this is, you know, voters, I think, hunger for good, useful, credible information. And, and what you're doing, I think, is extremely helpful. I, you know, as an educator, I want people to make an educated decision. So this is a very important proposition. And so I would just ask them to read as much as they can from credible sources of information. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I really owe everything to the strength of the guests like you. So I appreciate your time. And, and thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. My pleasure. Let's switch over now to hear opposing arguments about Prop 51. Today, we are happy to have G. Rick Marshall on the program to represent the opposing view to Proposition 51, the Public School Facilities Bond Initiative. G. Rick Marshall is the Chief Financial Officer of the California Taxpayers Action Network. He is an experienced IT consultant and software developer and is currently supervising a project in Southern California at UC Irvine Health. He's been very active in different community-focused organizations in the Torrance area and for the whole state. 
Rick is one of the leading opponents of Prop 51, and we are honored to have him on our podcast today. Thank you for joining us, Rick. Well, thank you, Brian. It's a privilege to be here. Great. Uh, to get started, I just want to hear in, in your words a brief explanation of Prop 51 and why it is important for Californians to vote no. Prop 51 is a, a school bond that uh, will provide funding at the state level through a shared and matching program for school districts to do their construction and modernization of their schools. It uh, sets aside uh, $3 billion for new construction, $3 billion for school modernization, and then there's a, million, a billion dollars shared between uh, Votech and charter schools, and then there's $2 billion for community colleges. The, the reason it's important for Californians to vote no on this is because of the way that Proposition uh, 51 allows developers to avoid paying their fair share by shifting the burden on the taxpayers. What I mean by that is there's a state law, it's called the School Facilities Program, that says if there's state bond money available, then developers are not required to pay developer fees for the new subdivisions they build that require new schools. Actually, they only pay about half. If there's no state bond money available, then local districts can require, uh, can actually double their developer fees to help pay for those new schools. And so we're just like uh, Governor Jerry Brown. We think this is a developer's bond is the wrong way to go. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Jerry Brown is against this publicly. Can you um, explain a little bit about his position, kind of what his, his main complaints are about this measure? Right. His main complaints, uh, which are ours, is this, uh, again, we're back to this uh, state facilities program funding law, which Proposition 51 locks into place, that allows, uh, well, it serves the bond funds on a first-come, first-served basis. So districts with a large and dedicated facility staff, like Los Angeles Unified School District, where I, I hail from Southern California, mm -hmm. uh, they can jump in line and get stuff out quickly, and then they have large projects that consume large amounts of money. What that does is it takes things away from more smaller, rural, deserving districts that uh, don't have those dedicated facility staff and can't get things in on time. Mm -hmm. And so what, what he proposes and what we agree with is that it should be a much smaller bond and it should be targeted to those districts that have that need. Uh, Los Angeles Unified, they've been able to pass I don't know how many billions of dollars of bonds to, to fund their school districts. And Giving an example, uh, in June, there were six, over $6 billion of local school bonds on the ballot. Over 80% of them passed. In this November election, there are $11 billion, over $11 billion of local school bonds. And there's no reason to believe that over 80% of those won't pass. Mm -hmm. if, if I'm not mistaken, I think in, in the past it was harder to get those local bonds uh, passed, but now it's easier. You only need a, a just slightly over majority. Right. Um, you need a fifty. You need a fifty-five percent now. Back when uh, the state facilities program was currently was implemented into law, the uh, the requirement was two thirds mm -hmm. to to pass. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now it's much easier, so that it seems like there's more of these local bond measures being passed. Um, let me ask you, when, when a voter sees this on the, on the 
on the ballot that say, okay, yes, I, I want to support education. What do, what do you think the sort of the benefits of this, like how, how much is this $9 billion really going to help versus kind of what are the, what are the burdens of this, uh, of this measure? Well, the, the burdens are that it adds, it adds another half a billion dollars. First of all, there's not a local property tax burden like there is with local bonds because the, the repayment of this bond comes out of the state general fund, and that, that's going to amount to about a half a billion dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And right now, just on the bonds we've passed, we've passed four bonds since this school facilities program law went into effect in 1998. And right now, we're paying $2.7 billion per year out of the state general fund to, to service those bonds. And that's about 2% of our general budget. And that's, you know, that 2% can't be put anywhere else to fix our roads, to uh, our bridges, to do uh, uh, other projects that we'd like to do because it's dedicated, because it's a bond, it has first dibs on the state general fund. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And all Proposition 51 will do is add to that a half a billion dollars a year. And we're saying what benefit? Mm-hmm. We think that local control is better, that communities know what they need and that they can decide how they want to pay for it. But with this one-size-fits-all at the state level and you have to do certain things, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> when the state facilities program was first created in 1998, the 10-year school enrollment was projected to increase by 8%. School districts faced a higher bond thresh- approval threshold of two-thirds percent and the state's debt service on school facilities on bonds were significantly less. Now, here some 20 years later, after four statewide bonds, the state is expected to have a 10-year enrollment decline of around a half percent. Local bond approval thresholds have been reduced, like you said, to 55 percent, and more than 80 percent of the bonds pass. Mm -hmm. And the state debt service is now running at $2.7 billion a year. We think that needs to be much more targeted. We agree with the governor that bonds should be much more targeted, and it should be to those districts that cannot pass a bond that are in dire need. That is a much smaller percentage than uh, the, the full state. The full state doesn't need that. And what happens is the, the perverse incentives that are, are in place allow, the, if you will, the bigger fish to gobble up all the, all the funds. It's been 10 years since we've, we've passed the state bond, and there's a $2 billion backlog in the queue right now. So that if the bond does pass, uh, there will only be $7 billion available because everybody's already gotten in line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I thought was really interesting about this bond measure is it's the first education bond measure, I think, in California history that has been citizen-initiated. Everything else comes from the legislator. Hey, we need more money coming from the legislator. This one's coming from the citizens. And correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, but can you tell me then who who is behind, who? what citizens kind of came up with putting it on the ballot and, and what do you think their motivations are? Well, uh, I'm glad you asked that, Brian. Uh, I would say it's, you could say it's citizens, but look, as you mentioned, up to now, all the statewide bonds have been placed on the ballot by the legislature and they've had the governor's support. support. Proposition 51 is different. One, it doesn't have the governor's support, and two, the legislature was not involved in placing this measure on the ballot. It's sponsored by a group called the Coalition for Adequate School Housing, CASH, which is a 
trade group of both school districts and uh, developers who build schools for them, and the California building industry. They promote new construction. In short, this measure was put on by those who profit most from passing this wasteful measure. According to the Secretary of State, they have raised over $7.1 million from construction special interest to pass Proposition 51. We have to ask voters, are these construction industry special interests really doing this for California school kids? We don't think so. We think it's to keep their fees low. Um, you know, voters have a ton of things to think about in this election. There's like 17 statewide ballot measures. And then uh, like in San Francisco, I think there's 13 or so planned uh, measures. A lot to keep in mind when they go into the booth and they see Prop 51 on the ballot. What, what is one thing you want them to keep in mind uh, when they're thinking about what to vote for? Well, the thing I think they need to keep in mind with Prop 51 is why should they pay for if they don't live in the Los Angeles Unified School District, why should they pay for construction there? Because that's what will happen if Prop 51 passes. We don't need it to pass because what we really should do is do something like Arizona, where they uh, offer assistance uh, to school districts on a uh, per-pupil basis, and they give them a, a uh, constant stream of funding that could even be bonded against. If the state's going to enter in, then what it needs to do is – be fair and give to every school district. And if we do have to pass a statewide bond, we should focus on the districts with the most need, not the ones that are rich and wealthy. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to say that to voters and listeners that want to learn more about this or get involved? Any, any websites well, they can go to for more information? Right. If, if we have a website called stop, prop, stop prop 51.org, they can go there. We have, other tools and things they can use to uh, look up and see if they would uh, like to join us in opposition. We also have uh, our Caltan, California Taxpayer Action Network, has a website at caltan.org, which they're welcome to come and take a look at. We actually have bond support criteria there that they might want to look at, and we'd love to have them sign up for our email list and a newsletter if they'd like to. And we'll uh, keep them apprised of what's going on and where we'll be speaking if they want to come and hear us and ask questions. All right. That's super helpful. Um, I, I really want to thank you, Rick, for your time today. This has been extraordinarily, extraordinarily informative. And, uh, yeah, we really appreciate your time. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate what you're doing here and keep up the good work. That wraps up our episode on Proposition 51. Thank you for listening. We want to thank our guests, Larry Galizio and G. Rick Marshall. We've got a few more episodes coming out before the election, so please stay in touch with us at Upvote Podcast on Facebook or Twitter or on our website at UpvoteCalifornia.com. Thanks again for listening. See you at the polls.